seats and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now. And not only creation, but even ourselves. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption, the redemption of our body. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly await for it with perseverance. In the same way, the Ruach helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Last uh, Sunday, I know this is profound and new revelation, but last Sunday was Mother's Day. <laughs> and uh, having been raised someplace other than these United States, I had to be properly instructed when Joe and I got married about the special value of Mother's Day. And so after 33 years, I stand before you to tell you that I didn't get it. <laughs> Took a while. And uh, so mother wanted to have a cherry tree planted. And uh, so our darling grandson and I went to Home Depot and got a cherry tree. And it is duly planted. And I have to tell you that uh, yesterday, as the clouds were getting uh, dark and it started to rain and look like hail, I thought to myself, oh no, Lord have mercy. Uh, this cute, darling cherry tree, uh, please, Lord. concerned. And uh, as it turns out, um, this little cherry tree is alive and well. And I think to myself, you know, this is just a uh, sliver of what I'm sure a farmer out in the plains must be feeling like every time the weather gets difficult. Um, you may be hearing the fact that 
The farmers in this country have had all kinds of issues with soybeans because of political issues, because of the weather and so on. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm not in a place where I need to worry about that. But um, this time of year, um, according to the traditional calendar and according to the Torah, uh, it's actually uh, a, a time of both celebration and also some degree of anxiety. Because as you may be aware, um, in Israel the first crop was barley. And it typically uh, the first fruits of barley uh, came uh, at the beginning of the Passover week, actually the second day of Passover. Uh, which is where we, we have the uh, instruction in the Torah about the first fruits. So actually, according to Scripture, as Joanne mentioned earlier uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, we have a couple of first fruits. We have the first first fruits, then we have the second first fruit. In case you're thoroughly confused, let me see if I can explain it to you. Again, barley was the first fruits, and then uh, 50 days later, uh, on Shavuot, which we'll be celebrating on June 8th, uh, and by the way, we will be celebrating also together with a number of other Messianic fellowships and congregations the following day, um, on, on June 9th. And so, the, uh, during those 50 days, the Israelite farmer was in, in a place of both thanksgiving and a little bit uh, neurosis. Uh, I'm kind of reading modern psychology into this, but you can understand that from a perspective of, of an Israelite farmer and also from a farmer today, even after you had the first crops, the, the first fruits, you really never knew for sure what would happen. Uh, you could have uh, hail, uh, you could have pests, uh, you could get uh, in Israel and in the Middle East you have locusts. So the possibility that even after you have the first crops, um, you would not have the entire batch of crops to celebrate in the Shavuot was very much a reality. And by the way, in Israel, there were eight crops, barley being the first one. And so God required that the people of Israel actually count uh, those 49 days, and the 50th being Shavuot. Um, and you think to yourself, okay, why go through that? And by the way, as you may or may not know, the rabbis have perfected that into an art as they've done with all kinds of other celebrations that we find in the Torah. So, uh, there's a fairly long uh, batch of liturgy that I will not take you through that uh, takes a person through the counting of, of those 49 days called the counting of the Omer. And by the way, today is the 29th day of the counting of the Omer. Uh, and so each each day, uh, an observant Jew is supposed to require is required rather 
to recite the following, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of Omer. That, of course, is, again, Leviticus 23, 15-16. And so there's a fairly long uh, amount of liturgy that follows it, and it begins with simply saying, today is, the 20, is 29 days, which is four weeks and one day of the Omer. So each day you add another one. And you think to yourself, okay, now why go through that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because it is, as always, both hand. First of all, it's pausing and saying, thank you, God, for the things that I can see. Uh, some of us are particularly gifted in accentuating the negative. You know what I'm saying? If the glass is half full, they will look at it and say it's half empty. And so, pausing to give thanks for first fruits, in other words, the, the things that we can see at this point, is first of all an exercise in building our faith. Why? Because we say, okay God, we don't have the entire picture yet, and I am starting to be somewhat nervous about how that's going to play out, but I can thank you for the things that I can see. The first fruits, the visible signs that you are alive and well and working today. And that is a major component for first fruits. And secondly, it also then is uh, a, an indicator or <clears throat> it challenges us then to say, okay, just as I have this first fruits that I can see and grasp with my hands, I thank you for that. I, I'm also going to trust you for the fullness that you have in, in this harvest. In other words, the full package that you have prepared for me. And that's a stretch of faith. And that is something that we see Paul speaking about. He speaks about the first fruits. First fruits of the Spirit. Um, what does he mean by first fruits of the Spirit? Well, a couple things that come to mind, and I'm sure we can take a long time expounding that, stretching that out. First fruits, first of all, has to do with the presence of God. We sometimes take that for granted or sometimes ignore the fact that the Lord is very much present with us. I don't know about you. For me, that helps with the, helps with the basic degree of sanity. Because you have the ups and downs of life, you have challenges, you have things that riding and shooty, earn. And, and yet, knowing the presence of God has, is um, acted out in our life through the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Teacher, is what gives us basic degree of stability and a sense of being rooted in God 
So that regardless of the ups and downs, we know that the presence of God is always there with us. That, folks, is a the major part of the first fruits. Remember that Yeshua said, I'm going to send the Spirit who will comfort and teach you and lead you into all truth. And secondly, of course, first fruits of the Spirit has to do with the fact that we are empowered to live for God. Frankly, the things that are spelled out in Scripture that God wants us to do are impossible. I hope you realize that. God puts before us things that are impossible not to drive us insane, but simply to help us recognize the fact that what He requires of us can only take place as we learn to depend on Him and receive the power that He has given us. That is what you find, for example, with Paul and these early believers, despite all the things that they went through, they persevered. Um, I look at the things that Paul and Peter and John and those guys went through and the curls they had on the back of my neck. Pretty scary stuff sometimes. And so you can understand when Paul is saying, in the next verse, he speaks about the present suffering. What does he mean by that? Well, he was, as best as we know, he was in Corinth at the time. Um, this letter to the Romans was written when Paul was in the city of Corinth. And uh, if you think that that was a picnic, let me challenge you to read the book of Acts chapter 18, uh, where Paul is there for a year and a half, and some of what he experienced was not pleasant. Uh, we're told in Acts 12 that he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he preached and shared about Yeshua in the synagogue. And some of the people in the synagogue, both the Jews, and the Gentiles who were God-fearers um, received the message and were delighted. And so that is where we had the congregation that was formed uh, in, in Corinth. However, the opposition that was primarily formed by Jewish people couldn't stand his guts. And we're told that they reviled him. In other words, they called him all kinds of names. And they blasphemed. In other words, they talked trash about Paul. And I, I'm grateful that in all the years we've engaged in some degree of outreach, we've had very little of that. But if you are involved in outreach to one extent or another, you know this is part of the picture. The Lord knows Paul experienced a lot of that. And what he's saying is that he, his suffering made him feel like he was a partner with Yeshua in sharing that, that suffering. Now, I don't know about you, I can't imagine what, what that looks like. Uh, in this country, we often complain about, you know, the fact that believers are, are being pressed and harassed by, by the folks who are anti-God and so on and so forth. We have absolutely no clue what it's like to suffer for the sake of Yeshua. 
one, one very small clue that would, that would give you a basic dose of reality is that in Pakistan it is a capital offense for a Muslim to turn and accept the sure. In other words, the, the government has the right according to law to kill them. And Pakistan is not the only Muslim country where severe persecution like that is meted out to folks who are believers. So they fully, much more fully than we do, understand what it's like to share Yeshua's suffering. However, all of us, to one extent or another, the moment you say, I do, and you sign on the dotted line for Yeshua, and you make it known wherever you are that this is who you are, you know, without having a big obnoxious sign that says, turn or burn, People will sometimes look at you and they will recognize the fact that, that you're not, uh, that you tend to be somewhat of a party pooper. Um, and, and you'll get some verbal harassment. And, and I am uh, perhaps uh, stretching the definition of harassment. But, but the point is, I think we all know the basic reality that we who are committed to following Yeshua are basically swimming upstream and the rest of society is going downstream. It's a basic, basic fact of life. And so, to one extent or another, we understand what it's like to be fellow sufferers of Yeshua. And part of what Paul goes on to say is this is not just because we are followers of Yeshua. But sometimes life itself can get difficult. Uh, people get cancer not because they follow Yeshua, but because of life and uh, the brokenness that is coming to this world because of, of the sin of Adam and Eve. You have basic degree of brokenness in, in this world. Uh, and Paul describes it very vividly. He says, nature itself is screaming and expressing its discontent because of the fact that it's not happening. Now this is obviously uh, what has been called personification. It's not as if creation and nature actually opens their mouth, whatever that would look like, and starts to talk. But you understand what Paul is saying. Um, because creation does not function as it was designed by the Creator. And just to give you a refresher, real quick here, uh, Genesis 1. On the third day, God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, Plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in accordance with their kind. And God saw that it was good. In other words, He created nature 
He created the vegetation according to his design, and he was pleased with what with the way it turned out because it was according to his design. However, during and because of the fall of, of man in the garden, then God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. He will produce thorns and thistles for you. This is Genesis 3, 17. Basic part of reality, we don't think about it, um, that a major part of nature is not functioning the way it was designed. And Paul puts it in this very, very graphic, very poetic expression by saying that creation was subjected to frustration. In other words, it is functioning not the way it, as it was designed, and it is experiencing bondage to decay. In other words, some of the things that we see when, when you go go hiking, you see trees that are falling uh, because they're, they, uh, there's fungal growth or something going on. That was not part of the design that God gave it. And Paul is then saying that we, like nature, are screaming. We're hollering. We're, we're not fully content with reality as we experience it because we recognize the fact that things aren't just right. Sickness, uh, moral decay, uh, all kinds of things. And uh, I don't need to remind you of things that have been happening lately, particularly, particularly last week, uh, with the shootings at uh, the STEM school and so on. Um, each of us look and we recognize that things are somewhat out of whack. Again, this is not to put a totally negative cast on things, but, but to recognize reality as, as it exists. And Paul is saying that creation, as along with us, is waiting with eager expectation. Now I want to take a moment and talk about the meaning of the this uh, word that we love to hate. What does it mean to wait? I, I would say for most of us, the notion of waiting is highly un-American and, and something that we despise. You know, you stand in line and the line gets longer and longer. Uh, what is your attitude? Your attitude gets poorer and poorer as time goes on. You want to get on with it, you want to pay, get out of there and go do things that you're, you need to do. Waiting for us is something very passive. We do it because we have no choice. But in Scripture, the notion of waiting is significantly different because it is not passive, it is active. And the words that you find in Scripture, both in, in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, and here in Paul's writing, is that you wait with eager expectation. You say, why eager expectation? Again, all of that is connected to who God is, His fancy purposes, the fact that He's active and engaged. And yes, we see reality. 
And yes, we see aspects of our reality that we don't particularly care for. However, we don't focus there. I mean, we have to deal with it. We have no choice. We don't focus there. We focus on who God is and what He has in mind. And because of that, we have the eager expectation. And if you've been here several weeks ago when, when we had a series on prophecy, you may remember that our emphasis was not on drawing lines from here to here. Such and such is happening. Next thing, uh, uh, Messiah will come and this will take place and so on. Uh, our focus was on recognizing the purpose of, of prophecy. Prophecy, folks, is not about having a map where everything is laid out. Prophecy is as a reminder that God is in control. Who are going to say God is in control in all kinds of circumstances? Which takes the attention of us and puts it where it belongs. Again, we have to deal with reality. But we have to deal with God's reality. And because of that, we wait with eager expectation. Knowing that God will somehow work His best in all situations. Amen. And yes, it is difficult, folks. I'm not going to stand here and, and, and give you a story that is a piece of cake for all of us. Waiting with confident expectation sometimes is easy, sometimes it's very difficult, which is why Paul goes on to talk about groaning, you know, catching. Uses the word groaning here a number of times. And uh, if you come from a Jewish background, some of us know what groaning is about, right? <laughs> we all do. And that simply means that because we're not there yet, we get frustrated. And Yeshua tells us that before the end times, before He comes, all sorts of things will happen that will not be particularly present. There will be earthquakes, there will be wars and rumors of wars, there will be false teachers. And first century Judaism called that Chavlei Mashiach, the birth pains of Messiah. In other words, that before Messiah will come, there will be all sorts of things leading up to it that will be difficult and will hopefully cause us to sit up, take notice and say, okay, what's happening here? Is God here in the picture? Is God working? Is God acting? And will He do something? This? And the answer, of course, is yes. And so Yeshua tells us to look for these things, not to get discouraged, not to, get, not to fall into despair, but recognize that, that He is, that God is working a plan in and through all of that. Which is, by the way, folks, when you hear folks on the radio or on the internet who uh, sing a depressing song about how they're going to come after us and so on, please turn it off. Because that does not give God the honor and glory. Not to mention that it's also not rooted in basic reality. Thank <laughs> you.
in reality. <laughs> but we wait with confident expectation. Folks, you look at your life, you look at the situation, what do you see? Do you see things that are difficult? Well, welcome to the club. We all have them. Do you see the hand of God at work? I hope you do. Because in any and all situations, there are always first fruits. Can you say amen to that? Amen. What comes before the coming, what the prelude before the coming of Messiah, we wait eagerly for, for our redemption. Paul goes on to talk about redemption being the redemption and the glory of the children of God. It's kind of poetic and over-the-top language in some ways, but he, what he has in mind is the fact that when we see the Lord, a couple things will happen. We'll be different. Radically different. First John tells us in chapter 3, when we see the Lord, bing, will be transformed, will be instantly like Him. And it speaks about also the body, the new, improved, 2060 version of, of the body that we all have. The redemption, the glorious redemption. And so yes, there are times when things are a challenge. Fine when it is not. 
That's the shame. Because God knows us. We can't do a snow job on Him. He has, he has uh, x-ray vision to see through all, all of our baloney. We can't, we can't say anything to impress Him. And so, I, I am relieved, frankly, to know that I can come before God and, and pray and, and, and talk about the things that, that bother me. And sometimes what comes out is absolutely glorious. What comes out is not quite glorious. God knows that. He knows that there are times when we don't even know how to pray. But even then, the Lord doesn't take a stick and, and, and smack us. Even then, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, your difficulty, my difficulty, provides God with a platform upon which He can show His stuff. In our weakness, His strength is brought to fullness. In other words, it shows who God is. And so Paul says, in, this is of course in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I glory in my weakness. I, I don't think I'm quite there yet. I mean, I fetch about my weakness. I don't know if I glory in that. But somehow, I know that God knows me inside and out. And the scripture tells me that Yeshua intercedes before the Father for me. And because of that, He's able to redeem, fix things fully and completely. In other words, all of us are under construction, all of us are a work in progress. Exactly what that looks like in, in the throne room of God. I'm not going to stand here and say to you, I have several videos of that. Some of the stuff that Paul talks about is frankly mystery. And I, I know that wherever things are somewhat mysterious, that's where folks like to run in and give volumes and volumes of explanation. Um, been there. Uh, avoided doing that as much as I can. So exactly what does it mean that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered? I'm not sure. It, as best as I can discern, it has to do with the fact that sometimes when we're praying, the Spirit of God takes over. And we know that what's coming out from us is clearly beyond our puny little brain. Some folks like to see that that is always indicative of praying in tongues. I'm not sure. What it, what it means is that whenever, whenever we find ourselves in a situation where things are beyond us, we can relax and be confident. Why? Because even at that point, the Spirit of God who knows us and leads us into all truth is able to take over. I'm, I'm, Cool with that. I don't know about you. Amen. Um, 
That's part of the grace, the amazing, amazing grace of God, folks. That He doesn't stand over us with a two-by-four ready to smack us. And so we, we all go through challenging times. We have even a hard time taking those first fruits. And you know, God wants us to go beyond the first fruits and be able to say, okay, God, you're at work. Uh, a friend of mine told me uh, what has been happening in a large congregation in this area where the preacher has been prophesying that revival will be coming in three years. Excuse me. Revival will be coming in January and that it will be lasting for three years. Now, I have not been part of the great council to be able to say absolutely yes or absolutely no. But I will tell you one thing. I look forward to that. Because we live in a pretty shooty world. It's getting crazier and crazier. And I want to focus on that. I want to focus on the fact that where sin grows and increases, the grace and power of God increases even more. That for us is the challenge. As we are in this sort of a, a counting the honor kind of a season, we're waiting for the fullness of what God has in mind. We're not there yet, but we're waiting with confident expectation. And when we are wobbly, we simply stop and say, Lord, I need help. Let's do that. Being among aim, we thank you, Lord, that you know us fully. Faith lessons for God. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.